Bible open to the book of Proverbs. This morning we're going through a series, Wisdom for Living. This is the third in the series, and uh, we'll try to get those messages up on the web as soon as we can. Somebody's been asking about that, and we'll just uh, hopefully get that done this next week. But um, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say uh, about how we manage our words. And this last week, um, I told my wife, I said, of all subjects, this is one I don't like to teach on, <laughs> you and your tongue, because uh, my tongue has gotten myself in trouble more than it has anything else a lot of times. You can turn this down a little bit, John, I think it's a little loud. Um, and our ability or inability to control our tongue will really determine more than anything else uh, the level of success that we have in relationships around us, if you stop and think about it. If you can't seem to say the right thing, and you constantly seem to say the wrong thing at times, you're going to find yourself someday all alone, alienated from everyone in your life. Uh, Some people find it easy to express themselves, just kind of rolls off their tongue. Um, Some people have no trouble saying what's on their mind, and we usually refer to those people as brilliant conversationalists. Some of them can talk on and on and on and on and on and on for hours about nothing, and we've all dealt with people like that and never get around to saying what they want to say, but they seem to keep the conversation going. But we all know that there's more to speaking effectively than just being able to string a bunch of words together. Would you agree with that? Um, The Bible teaches us a different approach to conversation than maybe one that we're used to. It teaches us to use our words sparingly. Some of us have difficulty in doing that. To speak with caution. I read the other day that the Ten Commandments contains only 297 words. Psalm 23 has 118 words. The Lord's Prayer is only 56 words long. Yet, in a recent report of the Department of Agriculture, (laughs) they needed 15,629 words to describe the price of cabbage. See, it's not the ability to use a lot of words that really makes a difference, is it? It's being able to use the right words at the right time. And we need to get into the habit of speaking carefully. We all do, myself included. Like I said, this week has been very convicting for me. And, uh, but we need to learn to think first and talk second. And the Bible speaks about that. We're going to be looking at that today. Um, but it takes effort, doesn't it? It takes a lot of effort on my part to make sure that you say the right thing <clears throat> in the right way at the right time. Reminds me of a story. A state trooper pulled over a man for speeding on a deserted road out in the middle of the desert. And since the road was clear and the weather was fine and it was daylight and there was no cars around, the the trooper, after checking them out, came up to the couple and leaned over them to the window and said, you know, I'm going to leave you off with a warning even though you were traveling at a very high rate of speed. Um, And he even leaned in a little further and said, you know, and I want to compliment you on the fact that you both are wearing your seatbelts. And to that, the woman leaned over toward the officer 
and said, well, you know, officer, when you drive the speeds we do all the time, you have to wear your seatbelt. And the officer took his little tablet and he went back to his car and he wrote them a ticket after all. See, sometimes that's an example of not thinking first before you say something. That's an example of not considering the best way maybe to say something. And the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about what we say and how we say it. In fact, the terms tongue, lips, mouth, and word appear and words appear nearly 150 times throughout the book of Proverbs. And next to Proverbs, probably the, the one verse that strikes us very near and dear to the heart is found in James chapter 16. And it says, The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Hard words about our tongue. Severe words, and yet very accurate words, you might say. James is focusing his attention on tongue's evil side. Well, Solomon, in his wisdom, balances the perspective. He gives both a good perspective on the tongue and a bad perspective. In Proverbs 15.2, it says, The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. He gives both sides of it. So to refer to the tongue as the single source of evil, I would say is a bit unfair. That's kind of like saying, well, money is evil. Well, money's not evil. It's love of money that is evil. And really, as we learned last week when we talked about the heart, the issues in the heart, we know that it's the heart that is really the source of the tongue's evil, if there is any there. And the tongue is the vessel that communicates that evil. It's a messenger that carries the information from the heart to the world. So it's the heart that we have to deal with, as we learned last week, not simply the tongue. But today we want to talk about you and your tongue. And David tells us in Psalm 119, verse 11, he says, Thy word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. See, sin is always a matter of our heart. Sometimes it comes out through our lips. But in this study, we want to focus our thoughts on the uses of the tongue, as we find in Proverbs, both right and wrong. So let's consider the first of these two, the right uses of the tongue. The right uses of the tongue. The tongue has some noteworthy qualities. In fact, it was the Lord Jesus Christ that said that a man could speak from the good treasure of his heart in Luke 6.45. So you can use your tongue to do good things, to speak good words. And we want to look at some of those good things that we can do. The first one is wise counsel and sound advice. And these are just kind of an overview of various Proverbs, and so you can either follow along in your outline or look up on the screen or turn in your Bible, whatever, but we're going to go through these kind of rapid fire, so um, do whatever you want. But wise counsel and sound advice. And here's a sampling, just a sampling of statements that introduce this use of the tongue. In Proverbs 10.31, it says, The mouth of the righteous flows from the mouth of the righteous flows, flows with wisdom. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom. In Proverbs 15, 7, it says, The lips of the wise spread knowledge. 
And over in 27.9, it says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. See, sometimes we are called upon to use our tongues to give men or women wise counsel or sound advice. And a lot of times, it's, it's seasoned veterans of the faith who've learned through life experience the positive functions of the tongue, and they provide a great resource for us. For counsel. Their tongue carries beneficial information to our ears. And when we're around them, we should be concentrating on listening versus always talking. To heed that counsel or to, to listen to that advice. Secondly, good use of the tongue is for reproof, rebuke, spiritual exhortation. In Proverbs 17.10 it says, A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows to a fool. In Proverbs 20:30 it said stripes that would scour away evil, score away evil and strokes reach the innermost parts. 27:6 says faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. See, it's impossible really for us to measure the value of reproofs and rebukes in exhortations to people, especially when such a person's concern is accompanied by love, discernment, good timing, proper motivation, genuine interest, all those things. You can't just run around reproving and rebuking people, exhorting people. You have to do it with humility. You have to do it with love. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So when a friend comes alongside and says, hey, i got something hard I want to share with you, our defenses, we have to keep in check. We have to say, okay, I need to hear this from this person because I know this person loves me, I know they care for me, and I know they want the best for me, so I want to hear what they have to say, even maybe what they have to say isn't nice to our ears, but it's needed to be said. So we have to be careful about that, but that's a good use of the tongue for reproof, rebuke, uh, spiritual exhortation. And then also encouragement. It says in 15.4, Proverbs 15.4, a soothing tongue <clears throat> is a tree of life. Over in 15.23, it says, a man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. Don't you just love it when someone comes along and they just say the right thing in the right way at the right time, and it just makes you feel good? I mean, that's just so encouraging versus somebody that comes along and says the wrong thing at the wrong time, at the wrong place, whatever. It's just like, well, what are you saying? And we've all probably done both, if we're to be honest with ourselves. But we have to realize that that's a good use of the tongue to speak encouragement. In, in Proverbs sixteen twenty four, it says, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. One of the most significant ministries we should cultivate among ourselves, both in our families and our relationships and the family of Christ, all that stuff, is mutual encouragement. <clears throat> when we come together, we should be willing to mutually encourage one another in our faith. We need to refine our skills of expressing honest appreciation for what others mean to us. <clears throat> Some people are good at that. Some people aren't. But we all should be working on that. Sometimes a lot of that is better done in private than in public. Uh, the fourth thing there I see is witnessing, teaching, and comfort. Proverbs speaks about that. Um, it says in Proverbs 10, verses 20 to 21, 
The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The lips of the righteous feed many. Providing comfort. Uh, Proverbs 18.4 or says, or 11.30, Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. He who is wise wins souls. So we're out witnessing, sharing the gospel with the lost. Proverbs 18.24 says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. We need to stop and remember that, you know what, our words can affect people in positive ways. Um, And if it weren't for the tongues of caring Christians, none of us would have been helped to know Christ personally or taught his ways if somebody hadn't come along and shared the gospel with us at some point in time. And there's a lot of responsibility, tremendous responsibility, that rests upon those who stand in the gap as teachers and as communicators of the truth and as Christians to go out and to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. Our our words have great potential for great use. Well, there's also four specific uses from the book of Proverbs talking about the poison in your mouth. wrong uses of the tongue. We've seen the good uses. Let's look at the wrong uses of the tongue. And this is where it gets kind of, you know, uncomfortable, you might say. Because through those four, we can all probably identify with one or two of those and say, oh, yeah, I remember. God used me to comfort that person, or I witnessed to this person, or I spoke an encouraging word to that person, or I was able to rebuke that person and saw them come back to the Lord, whatever it is. But now we're getting to the, the kind of the, where the rubber meets the road, and we don't like to go here. We don't like to talk about the wrong uses of the tongue. We'd just rather stay on the first four. But as we turn our attention to the tongue's inordinate uses, we begin to kind of look at our own heart. And that's what we need to do. And that's what the book of Proverbs, remember I said this is a very practical study. This is something that's going to touch you at every practical level of your life if you allow it to. And we constantly need to be evaluating our actions if we want to be fully pleasing to God. And one of the actions is how we use our tongue. And so let's see if we can see here some of the wrong uses of the tongue in the book of Proverbs. If you look at Proverbs 20:17, it says, Bread obtained by falsehood is as sweet as is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. Falsehood. First wrong use of the tongue is deceitful flattery. Deceitful flattery. 26.44 says, He who hates, hates disguises it with his lips. He who hates disguises it with his lips. In other words, they're not, you're not seeing the real deal. It's deceitful. In 26, 28, <clears throat> Proverbs says, A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Or 27, 6, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. We already looked at that. But the term flattery refers to insincere, what? Compliments, right? Insincerely offering somebody compliments. You see somebody in a dress that looks just totally unflattering and not good at all. And you go, oh, that's nice. Okay. 
Or, boy, you, you look nice today. And they got one eye open and their hair's all over the place. And, you know. Deceitful flattery. I mean, we've all done it. We've all been uh, victims of it, I guess you could say. But it refers to insincere compliments that are given with wrong motives. Excessive praise for the purpose of gaining favor in someone's eyes. So many times, <clears throat> you know, you get these calls on the phone or you get an email or whatever, and they're always trying to sell you something. And I'm just the biggest skeptic, you know, oh, this new business or this or that or whatever. And <clears throat> I've learned over the years as you talk to these people, if you talk to them at all, if you try to just tell them you're not interested or whatever, somehow they, they get into the conversation of, you know, they figure out that if they figure out you're a Christian, okay, then all of a sudden, boy, they go to church and they're all this, you know, they're everything to everybody. And, they, and sometimes I wonder, are they true? Is that true? Do they, are they really interested in talking about this? Or is this just a ruse to get me into a deeper conversation about the product they're buying? And so you have to be careful because it could be just deceitful flattery. They just want to tell you whatever you want to hear. Judas surfaces as an unavoidable illustration of flattery. Remember when he planted on the face of Jesus one of the most deceitful, flattering events ever known to man, a kiss of bitterness. He went up in the garden and, and literally kissed him to betray him. We all need to implement the counsel contained here in the following. It says in 28.23, Proverbs, He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Do you hear that? He who rebukes a man. In other words, you're telling it to them straight. You're being honest with them. It may be uncomfortable. Maybe they don't want to hear it. But you know what? Afterward, they're going to find more favor with you and you with them than someone who is just flattering with their tongue. And that's an important thing to realize that our tongue, within our tongue, we have tremendous power. And we should be using it for good, not for deceitful flattery. Secondly, it can be used to slander to talebear or to gossip. And this is always a touchy issue. But once again, we see it, the counsel from Solomon in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 10, 18, here's what he says. He who counsels, or he who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. Or over in 16, 21, 28, a perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Or 17, 9, he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Or 20, 19, he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. See, too many within the Christian family still find delight in running, you might say, roughshod over other people. <clears throat> and you know what? At times, it's hard not to. It's hard to keep your tongue in check. Um, some can appear quite sweet, gracious, even on the surface, but underneath, they're filled with contempt. And they got an issue in their heart, and it's coming out through their mouth. They can conceal their tail-bearing activities with a smile, or maybe even a curtsy. Any information we allow to pass through our lips should be checked at one of four gates, and I put them there in your outline, I believe. 
before we speak, we should stop and ask ourselves, if what I'm about to say true, is what I'm about to say true, is it true? Do I know this for sure? How many times have we said something and then we've had to come back and say, you know, this is what I heard. I didn't know that it wasn't true. We've all done that. But you know what? We need to be aware of that. And we need to keep our tongue in check. And the first gate there of protection is, is what I'm about to say true. If you don't know, then don't share it. Just wait. Secondly, is it confidential? Has it been told to you in, in confidence? And this raises some questions which we're going to look at. But you have to stop and ask yourself, is this confidential information that I'm sharing with somebody that I shouldn't be? Thirdly, is it kind? Are these kind words? Or are these degrading words? I mean, it's always easy to speak bad about somebody. It's always easy to criticize somebody. At least for me it is. It's harder to actually talk about somebody in a good light. I'm, maybe I'm just being brutally honest. I don't know. You're all staring at me like I'm, I'm from Mars. But you know what? That's the case with me. <laughs> you know, you hear some dirt about somebody. Boy, you just, you, your flesh just wants to share that. That's just what happens. It's not right. So is it kind? Fourthly, is it necessary? Is it necessary to even share that? And that, th- these four gates raise some questions. Aren't there times when certain, kind, uh, certain unkind information has to be communicated? Isn't there times when you're talking to somebody and you have to say something that you don't even want to say? And you know that they're going to perceive it as unkind or harsh or whatever you might call it. But it still needs to be said. Yeah, that's true. There are those times. Jesus is our example in Matthew 23 when he told the Pharisees to their faces that they were wrong and that they were hypocritical. He wasn't just being mean. You know, they didn't look at Jesus and say, oh, you big meanie. You know, that's not what their reaction was. They knew that he was speaking the truth. Yet on those occasions, we look at the way he did it and his heart. He had a good heart. It wasn't evil. His motivation was pure. So sometimes when we have to say harsh things, we have to say even unkind things or things that might be perceived as unkind, we have to do it with a proper motivation of our heart, not just to tear somebody down. It might be to enlighten about a situation or whatever it might be. Secondly, aren't there times when confidential information should be shared? Is there ever a time when confidential information should be shared? I would say, again, yes. Obviously, very limited. But we need to stop and think about this clearly. Sometimes, people, even within the church, okay, um, get in a tizzy, things happen, whatever happens, happens, and we engage in some kind of a sinful practice within the, the bounds of the church. And church leaders a lot of times are the last to discover what's even going on. Everybody else seems to know what's going on, but no, the pastor doesn't know, the elders don't know. It's like, what? what? This person's doing what? Well, you didn't hear it from me. <laughs> you know, one of those deals. Well, in that case, we need to understand that the purpose 
is reconciliation. The purpose isn't to run somebody out or run somebody down or whatever. But we have to underscore one thing. Before any such information is shared with the appropriate individuals, the matter should be obviously bathed in prayer. You don't want to just be running around spewing information that you've seen or you've heard or whatever that could be confidential. But you know what? There comes times, I remember as a youth pastor, I'd have kids all the time come in and say, hey, look, I'm going to tell you something, but you can't tell my parents. It's like, get out. That's what I tell them. Get out. Well, no, I'm, I'm here. No, no, I don't play these games. What, are you going to kill yourself? And I can't go tell your parents you're going to kill yourself tonight? I mean, yeah, I'm going to put myself in that corner. I don't think so, you know. Or you got your girlfriend pregnant, and I'm, I can't go tell your parents now because I promised you this confidentiality. That, that's not going to fly. So you have to be careful. Sometimes we, we want confidentiality, and we want it just because maybe we're ashamed of the situation or whatever, and we don't have trust in the, the people we're sharing it with. And so we think, okay, well, I, I kind of kind of draw this in, and I just want this person to promise me that they won't say anything to anybody, including their own spouse, including the elders, including whatever. And, and that doesn't work too well. Because if you're really there to get help, you're really limiting the ability for that person to give you any kind of help. And so you have to stop and rethink that. So sometimes it is necessary to share confidential information with people over certain situations, whatever it is. Obviously, they're limited. But the highest level of conversation has to do with ideas, thoughts, truths, plans, and events. Think of it this way. That's the highest level. The lowest level has to do with people. And a good question to ask yourself is this. How much of my conversation is spent about talking about others? How much of my conversation is spent talking about others? Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we might say a lot, we may say a little, we may say whatever in between. But we have to stop and think, what's the motivation then behind that? You know, I know sometimes that I've had to even catch myself because, you know, you, as a pastor, sometimes you can't, you, know, you can't just run out and talk to people about whatever. And so sometimes, you know, you have a friend or whatever, and you kind of vent. And then you're, you walk away from the situation going, I wonder how they're perceiving this. Are they understanding I'm venting? Or they think I'm gossiping? Or they think, what, what's going on? You know? And so you have to be careful about that. You have to pray about that. And only the Lord can show you what the right way to go and, and different things. But think of those four gates. Is it true? Is it confidential? Is it kind? And is it necessary? Do I even need to share this? Um, thirdly, third way that we can use our tongue in a wrong way is arguments strife, and angry words. John said today was National Parents' Day. Okay, Uh for all the parents, great. Okay, listen, one thing you're going to find real quick, if you have kids or you're married to somebody, arguments, strife, and angry words are going to be in your house sooner or later. It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen because we're fallen. We're sinful. In Proverbs 18.6, it says, A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows. Isn't that interesting? His mouth calls for blows. 29.11 says, A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Proverbs 29.22, An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. You know, sometimes when you come to the idea of a temper or anger or whatever, I mean, 
I know that just personally, I mean, sometimes just dealing with my own anger about things can be very frustrating. Because I find myself trying to hold it back, trying to hold my anger back, trying to bottle it up, hold it back. And then the littlest little thing, all of a sudden, boom, you know, the lid flies off. And it's like, what's this reaction we're getting here? We don't understand this. You know, and, and there's a good way to hold back your anger and control it, and there's a bad way. If you're just stuffing everything inside, sooner or later, the cap's going to blow. Trust me. And when it does, you don't want anybody around. And if they are, man, they need to run for cover real quick. That's just how it happens. But it's remarkable how something like an angry heart can bring about sin. Once again, we're back to the heart. One occasion of sin after another. And Solomon's counsel for us is really to disassociate ourselves with those given to anger. Don't hang around angry people. Because you might become angry like them. It might rub off. My wife tells me once in a while that I rubbed off on her over these past 16 years. So whenever she gets angry, well, it's your fault. You know, if she gets angry, which she hardly ever does. But you know what? Sometimes we need to understand that. We need to pull back from the, the tumultuous quarrel on the horizon and diffuse it rather than just, you know, roll up our sleeves, let's go. That's, that's not going to help anybody. So arguments, strife, angry words, another wrong way we use our tongue. We've all been there. We've all done that. The last thing, fourthly, boasting, foolish talk. Um, it says in 1728, even a fool, and I love this verse, even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is counted prudent. Think about that the next time you're in a business meeting with somebody. Think about that the next time you're in an argument with your wife or your husband. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. Um, In Proverbs 17.5, He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. He who rejoices at calamity will not go unpunished. Those are harsh words when you stop and think about it. I mean, how many times have we, well, yeah, figures, look at the way they're living their life. They deserve what they got. Boy, we have that kind of attitude. 18.13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears is a folly and shame to him. How many times have you been in a conversation with somebody and you're hearing what they're saying, but you're really not? Right? I mean, you see their mouth moving, and you know that you're conscious, you're in a conversation, you're talking to them, but what are you doing? You're formulating your answer. And you, you, after a certain point, you don't hear anything beyond that. You, you, you're trying, it's like, it's like playing a chess game in your head or something. And you're just constantly, you know, okay, they just said this now, I've got to say this now. And, and you're not really hearing anything else after that point in time. And what do you end up doing is you end up spouting off something before you really listen to what they're saying. We've all done that. And it says it's a folly and it's a shame because you look like an idiot, to be honest with you. When somebody's in the middle of telling you something, you know, and this is, I mean, in a way it's kind of lived out in our modern day news, right? I mean, this, this lady uh, who was the, 
the agricultural lady down in Georgia, and they viewed the tape, and boy, they fired her, they did all this stuff. Now, I'm not saying she's got the, the best outlook on life or whatever, but I am saying that for whatever reason, okay, somebody made some decisions <clears throat> on not all the information. Because in that tape, <clears throat> even though she said that she withheld some things from a white person, whatever it was, and, and then, but she, at the end she goes, you know, it shouldn't be that way, and she kind of tells her she learned her lesson. Well, sometimes we don't let people speak. We don't let people speak their whole, um, all their words before we open up our mouths. And sometimes we catch ourselves and go, why did I even say anything? Um, 27.2 says, let another praise you and not your own mouth. That's really common sense, right? A stranger and not your own lips. I mean, who wants to be around somebody that's constantly talking about themselves, building themselves up? I mean, nobody. Nobody likes people like that. They're egotistical. They're just all about themselves. And sometimes when you get in a conversation with somebody, and it's like all they talk about is themselves. We need to be aware of that in our own mind. Are we doing that? Sure, we all have at times, but is that a... A regular thing in our life. Let somebody else praise you. Um, and all those things are interesting, and yet they're very, very personal. They're very convicting statements. Uh, but people, especially foolish people, they comment on everything. They can enjoy the benefit of appearing wise even if they could subdue their own mouth, but they can't. They just, you know, they just want to talk about anything. Have you ever met somebody that no matter what subject you bring up, they're talking about it? And they just continue to talk about it, like they know everything about that subject. And, you know, it's, it's just a, a, a sad situation, but we need to understand that we've all spoken words that we wish we could have brought back in an unguarded moment. Or maybe we shared a, a joke or something that, was inappropriate, or we said a word, or we laughed at someone who was suffer, suffered or for reasons beyond their own control, whatever it might be. Um, there's nothing wrong with a good laugh. Matter of fact, it even talks about that in Proverbs 17.22. It says that a good laugh is often a medicine God gives us for a tense heart. But the test of good humor is found in these questions. If you want to share humor... Do it in this way. Can you laugh at your own mistakes? Or are you laughing at other people? Can you restrain the humor or laughter when it is unfitting? Because some people are just the jokester. They're always out there joking about every possible thing. Can you enjoy it when you're all alone? Or is it just a show for everybody else to see? It seems like there's more bad uses of the tongue, and there is good uses, but we'll move on to E, profanity and vulgarity. And this gets real personal because it talks about our everyday conversation. 15.4 says, A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Proverbs 30.14 says, There's a kind of man whose teeth are like swords, and his jaw teeth like knives, to devour the afflicted from the earth and the needy from among men. 
See, we have to be acutely out of touch with the world to overlook the increase of profanity. I mean, now you can watch a show on TV that's just on during the day, whatever, and there's profanity in the show. I mean, that used to be not allowed, but now it is. They used to have to bleep that stuff out. Now they don't even bleep it out half the time. I mean, it's all around us. I saw a commercial the other day that had a, um, not a commercial, a news thing that had a, uh, 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 they were selling shirts, and it had a vulgarity on the, on the T-shirt. It didn't have it spelled out, but it had the first and last letter. It wasn't very hard to figure out what it, they were saying. But they had kids doing it, and they had this rap thing going along with I mean, it was about the oil spill or something. It was just horrible, and they're selling these T-shirts, and I'm thinking, who would wear these things? I remember going to the county fair once in a while, and you, know, you walk around and you see some, some people you know, with a, with, a, with a shirt, and on the shirt it just says some expletive. And it's like, wh- why would you wear that? I mean, what are they thinking? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but Christians aren't necessarily exempt from the problem. All too often we contribute to it. And it's slipping into all these forms of entertainment. I mean, even today you have pastors from the pulpit using what I would say are are vulgar terms to describe certain things that are just not appropriate within the church. And people are laughing and making fun of it. Um, Vulgarity and profanity are a sign of neither attractiveness nor power, but signs of really desperate weakness that they can't even control their own tongue. Um, so many times you want to ask you know, these people, is this really necessary? The way you speak, you go to a baseball game, and you've got people all around you just you know, cursing up a storm, and you wonder, is this really necessary? Can't you just speak one sentence without a swear word in it? Just one. I just want to hear you do it once. And some people, it's just, boy, it's just the way they live. And we need to be aware of that, that as a Christian, we need to ask God to, if we have a problem in that area, and I remember my brother Bob, you know, he used to cuss up a storm, and after he became a Christian, he still had issues with it on occasion. You know, he's in the Navy, the whole nine yards. But you know what? It came to a point where he was trying to guard his lips. He was trying to guard his tongue. It just kind of came out. <laughs> but at least he would catch it and say, oh, I'm sorry. You know. And so, you know, we need to be aware of that. Profanity and vulgarity is a wrong use of the tongue. It has no place in a Christian's life. It's not honoring to Christ at all. And then lies and exaggerations. This one probably does this all in. Um, so, uh, Proverbs 6.19 says, A lying tongue and a false witness uh, who utters lies. Those are one of the things that the Lord hates, Solomon said. Uh, 14.25 says, A truthful witness saves lives, but he who speaks lies is treacherous. And, you know, since it's parents, National Parent Day or whatever it is, those of us rearing children, you have to do everything possible. And you're not doing them any service by allowing them to get out of the responsibility if they're telling lies. They need to be held accountable. We shouldn't encourage someone who is lying or exaggerating or whatever it is. And sometimes, you know, I mean, it's, it's fun, you know. Yeah, I was out fishing, I caught this fish, and, you know. And, I mean, but really, is it an exaggeration or did you really catch a fish? And how big really was it? Um, and so we need to be aware of that. 
Well, let's look at some practical lessons for our conversation. Practical lessons. And, and these are things that we can all practice every day. All right? Uh, before you speak, consider this. Consider saying nothing at all. <laughs> consider saying nothing at all. Uh, if you'll take to heart these things, there's three things here under this point. Um, it will help you probably across the board with every relationship you have. First of all, you don't have to say everything you know. Amen? You don't have to say everything you know. I mean, you may know a lot of stuff, but you don't have to say it. It's not necessary. I remember one time there was a, uh, uh, we were in a church in Southern California, and uh, certain song came out and it was a very popular song and and i remember you know during the the message it's a christian song the pastor talked about um how there's this duplicitous lifestyle in a lot of the christian artists and you know they they write christian songs and yet they're also writing for you know motley crew and all this other stuff there's no faith there it's just they're good songwriters and uh he brought up this thing kind of in a vague you know, thing, and he mentioned the, you know, kind of this, this song, top 40 song, whatever it was. And it was so vague, I remember asking him afterwards, well, who, who was it? I wonder who it was. I mean, you kind of just left it out there, you know. And he told me, and I thought, oh. And that changed my whole perspective of the song. It changed my whole perspective of that individual. And he was wise in not saying that to everybody, in the, whole, in the whole place. And, and sometimes, you know, we need to realize we may know something about somebody, but we don't have to say that. We don't have to say everything we know. Uh, sometimes people are in certain recovery programs or something like that, and, and uh, you know, somebody's talking, oh, did you know that, you know, that, that person was bulimic or that person's an alcoholic and they're in recovery? And we start going down that road. And it's like, why do we have to share that information? Now, it's a matter of, you know, safety or something like that, you know, they're, they're applying for a ministry position, whatever, then, then that's a fair game. But just in general conversation, do we have to say everything we know? There is a reason why they call those um, groups anonymous, you know, because they don't want to be known. So we need to stop the, the uh, saying everything we know all the time. And we may know something about someone, and just because we know it and because it's true doesn't necessarily mean that we have to say it. Um, Solomon said in, in, in Proverbs seventeen twenty seven, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint. Use your words with restraint. Before you speak, consider saying nothing at all because you don't have to say everything you know. Also, you don't have to say everything you think. <laughs> This can get you in real trouble. Trust me. Um, some people believe that they know a little bit more about every subject than everybody else. And they believe it's their duty to kind of wax eloquent whenever they get the chance. Whatever subject comes up in the conversation, whether it's the stock market, computers, criminal justice, po- politics, football, baseball, religion, whatever it may be, they believe they have the first and final word on the matter. And they want to hold you captive with their tongue. And they're going to share it with you. 
And you can fall into this habit even unintentionally. But you need to watch out for it. No matter what subject comes up in conversation, this kind of person has something to say about it. He's a self-proclaimed authority on everything and everything. And I think that we have to look at what Solomon says in Proverbs 17, 28. He said, even a fool is thought wise, as we said before, if he keeps silent. See, you don't have to say everything you think. Before you speak, keep this principle in mind. Silence looks like knowledge. So think first, speak second. I remember one time I got a job at a, uh, a uh, big like warehouse and um, worked there graveyard shifts and, and uh, had to go out and load these pallets with all different you know, products, shampoo, all kinds of things. And then these pallets would go out to supermarkets or wherever. And uh, I remember the first day there, you know, this is after I finished school and I was in between churches and I just needed a job. So I'm thinking, okay, Lord, a warehouse, great. I've heard about people that work in warehouses. <laughs> I don't think I am one of these people. And I had this attitude kind of a thing, you know, like, who can't do this job, right? So I get in there my first night, and um, the guy that was showing me how to run the pallet, their electric pallet things, and, you know, it's kind of cool, actually. And it was a lot more involved in this job than what I realized. And I remember, at first, when he started telling me, okay, you know, you look at your sheet, and when it says A4, that means you go to, and I'd, I'd finish the sentence. Yeah, you go to aisle A, and you go to section 4. Yeah, I mean, that's how I was with this guy the whole time he's trying to train me, right? So after about 20 minutes, he probably looked at me and thought, what a jerk I am. And uh, he said, you know, okay, well, call me if you need me. So, yeah, no problem, you know. So, you know, so I started loading my little pallet up and get it back there and put it, put it back to the thing and got it all wrapped up and everything. And all of a sudden, the supervisor goes, hey, who loaded pallet number whatever? Well, that would be me, you know. So I go back. What's the problem? You know? It's not even the right stuff. What are you doing? You know, didn't Joe train you? What? you know, well, yeah, yeah, he did. Well, look at what you got on this. You know, this is going to a, you know, whatever it was, a, a, a food store, and you got, you know, shampoo, whatever it was. It was just some crazy, you know, thing. And, and I'm looking at it, and I'm going, why, no, I, this is not hard work. And so, you know, I got chewed out. I had to put everything back and reload the thing. And I remember this guy coming back, and he said, do you need some help now? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, doesn't this mean, doesn't A always mean A? No, it doesn't. Because there's an aisle A for the, for the shampoo products, but there's also an aisle A for, you know, the fertilizer stuff, or whatever it might be. And I'm like, oh. And these numbers don't always mean this. Here's what, and so he went through and he explained the whole thing. See, if I would have just shut up and listened to him, I probably would have had the job you know, down pat in a matter of minutes. But I was trying to interject myself. I was trying to, you know, not listen. I always thought, okay, you know what? I, I'm going to know better than this guy. He works in a warehouse, for goodness sakes. And yet, I learned the hard way. And I should have just remained quiet and just said, out of my head, and went through the orientation the way everybody else did, and, and I would have been fine. So sometimes, we have to keep silent. And in keeping silent, we actually look smart even though we may not be. (laughs) Third, you don't have to repeat everything you hear. This falls under the idea of gossip. You don't have to repeat everything you hear. Sometimes it's fun. (laughs) Sometimes our flesh is into it, but we don't have to do it. 
Because the problem with repeating gossip is that it seems that there's even a better chance that what you heard isn't even completely true. And when you repeat it, that person is going to repeat it. And what they're going to repeat, probably they're going to add some stuff to it and make it a little more juicier, you know. Um, but, you know, we say things. And, and words have meanings. We say things like, yeah, I'm just going to go over and, you know, catch a cup of coffee and catch up on the latest gossip. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? It's a very serious thing. We say it like there's nothing wrong with it. But there is. Gossip tends to get embellished as it's passed from person to person to person. And the subject of gossip is one that we really don't take serious enough. Uh, To a certain extent, catching up on gossip is is obviously a figure of speech, but it's too often an accurate representation of the way we have our own conversations. In Proverbs 16.28 says this about gossips. A perverse man stirs up decision and a gossip separates close friends. See, it's something to think about. We've all been there, done that at one point or another, okay? But that's not an excuse for allowing it to continue. Did it ever occur to you that when you talk bad about someone, God considers your actions perverted? says a perverse man stirs up dissension. It may seem hard to believe, but that's what the Bible says. Um, God would much rather you just keep quiet about it. Solomon said in 17.9, He who covers an offense promotes love. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. It's hard to cover an offense. It's hard when someone offends you to just to say, you know what? God bless you, and let's move on. It's tough to do that, but that's what we're called to do. Repeating everything we hear destroys friendships. And this is why we need to think before we speak. Consider whether we should say anything at all. And you don't have to repeat everything you hear. That's the first step in managing your mouth. (laughs) And we all need to learn from that. Secondly, consider whether or not you have all the facts. Consider whether or not you have all the facts. That kind of falls under the gate of being true. But you remember back in 1996 when the Olympics were in Atlanta, Georgia? Remember the guy by the name of Richard Jewell? Remember that story? He was a security officer. He was first on the scene when the bomb exploded there at the Olympics. And he acted conscientiously and courageously. He was really a hero. But the FBI developed suspicions about Jewel and began to consider him a suspect in the bombing, and the FBI was simply doing their job. They needed to be suspect of everyone. But then the media came along, and they went wild with the story. The Atlantic Journal-Constitution printed a story packed with innuendo and misleading comments. The New York Post called him a fat former failed sheriff's deputy in a story that crossed the line between reporting him as a possible suspect and declaring him guilty. Even Tom Brokaw compromised his credibility by saying they probably have enough to arrest him right now, probably enough to prosecute him. But you know, they always want enough to convict him. Well, you know how the story turned out, don't you? Richard Jewell didn't didn't plan any bomb at all. He was, in fact, a hero. 
He put his life in danger to save other people. And yet he was ripped to shreds by the press. And we see that even going on today. Just because Tom Brokaw or Bill O'Reilly or Sean Hannity or whoever your news guy is says it doesn't mean it's true. Doesn't mean it's true. You need to remember when you watch the news that there's a very real possibility that you're getting only a fraction of the story. Or when someone's sharing something with you, maybe you're only getting a fraction of the story. And you can do a lot of damage by speaking before you get all the facts. And some of the damage will most likely come your way. In Proverbs 18.13, very practically, it says, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Um, You know, you just want to stop and and catch yourself. Proverbs 14.3 says, A fool's talk brings a rod to his back, but the lips of the wise protect him. That's why you have to speak, think first, speak second, and make sure you have all the facts. And Solomon said in 17.27, A man of knowledge uses words with restraint. Well, thirdly, consider the best way to say what needs to be said. Consider the best way to say what needs to be said. I mean, we don't live in a Pollyanna world, that's for sure. And sometimes you have to say some hard things that are very hard to say and they're unpleasant to hear. But you know what? Our words will carry a lot more weight if we're careful about how we say them. Proverbs 15.23, a man finds joy in an apt reply. And how good is a timely word? There's an old story about a man who fixed his wife a sandwich. Jerry, you'd like this this story. And one of the pieces of bread he used was the heel. And when he gave her the sandwich, she blew up. She just went ballistic. She said, I'm so sick of you giving me that heel on every sandwich you make. You've been doing it for 20 years. Why do you insist on doing this to me every time you make me a sandwich? And the husband looked at her, and here's what he said. Well, dear, the heel is my favorite piece. <laughs> See, that guy knew the right thing to say. He was actually giving her his favorite piece of bread, thinking that it would be a blessing to her too. He understood what Solomon said when he said, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Boy, how many times has that proven true in your life and in mine? If you need to confront your spouse or your child or an employee about a problem, you need to take time to find out the right way to say what you're going to say. You need to ask yourself, how can I say this in such a way that is going to build them up and encourage them and yet still speak the truth to them? One lady said, my husband has a way of telling me to do things that makes me want to do the exact opposite of what he says. And it wasn't my wife, by the way, but she probably thinks that sometimes. You know, a caveman might say, well, you know, she just needs to learn to submit. Well, I would say, you know what, maybe the husband needs to learn to communicate in a proper way. Look for the best way to say what needs to be said. Proverbs 18.21, and close with this, it says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it 
will eat its fruit. See, when we speak to one another, we should keep those words in mind. When our words come out of our mouth, are we, are we speaking life or are we speaking death? Are we speaking encouragement or are we speaking discouragement? Are we speaking truth or are we speaking error? You know, we all have issues with our tongue. The Bible clearly says nobody can control the tongue. I mean, you may control it for a little while, but sooner or later it's going to get out of hand. If you have an issue with your tongue, there's a couple things you can do. Admit you have a problem first to yourself and then to God. And take steps to control your tongue. Think before you speak. Realize you don't have to contribute. Hold back. In Psalm 141, verse 3, David prayed this. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard, Lord, over my tongue. Help me to speak words of truth and and. Wisdom, not words that are gossipy or wrong. The last quotation is by Washington Irving, and he said this, The tongue is the only tool that grows sharper <laughs> with constant use. <laughs> the t- tongue is the only tool that grows sharper with constant use. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, we know that we all deal with issues with our tongue. And Lord, a lot of those issues come directly from our heart, as we learned last week. But even with that said, we need to understand that our tongue is an instrument that can be used for life or death, encouragement or discouragement, truth or error. And Lord, we pray that, as the Bible says in Proverbs thirteen three, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Lord, we ask that you would help us to put a check on our lips. Even this next week, Lord, maybe there's somebody we've spoken harsh of before or we've criticized, whatever it might be. Lord, I pray that we would turn to you, repent first to you, say we're sorry, but then also make up for it to that person by maybe speaking a kind word to them, encouraging them in some way, reaching out to them. It doesn't mean you have to go back and rehash everything that you, you said, but but you can start fresh with that relationship. And Lord, I, I pray that you would put a, a guard over all of our mouths, that you would um, help us to speak words of truth that would be edifying to you. Lord, I, I pray today that as we've looked at these various proverbs dealing with the tongue, Lord, it's really a matter of the heart. And Lord, we know that, um, Father, that our hearts are wicked and desperately evil. They're dark. They're filled with sin, and it's only through Christ that we can be freed from that sin and forgiven. And so, Father, we know today that, Lord, if there's anybody here who has yet to put their faith or trust in you as their Lord and Savior, that they would cry out to you, that they would repent of their sin, that they would turn away from their sin, and that they would turn to you and ask you to forgive them because of the work of Christ on the cross and because of his resurrection, because he proved who he said he was, the Messiah, the coming King, And Lord, we just pray that that person would cry out to you for forgiveness, that you would heal their heart, that you would forgive them and just uh, begin that relationship with you. And they can do that even in the quietness of this moment. And Father, take us through this next week with your blessings. We think of the different needs and and physically and spiritually. And and Lord, we just pray that you would watch over uh, us and uh, bring us back uh, safely next week. And Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen.